before we pray, um, a week ago Friday, there were several prayer meetings around the county arranged by Brian Tankersley to pray for our farms, for the farmers, for their families, and specifically for rain. As you are well aware, yesterday and last evening came a gully washer. And uh, I just think it's incumbent upon us when we pray and God answers our prayer that we praise and thank him for that. So I'm going to include that in our invocation. Um, I was so humbled being with those farmers last Friday and hearing them pour out their hearts and knowing their desperate plight. Many of the ponds they used for irrigation were dried up. And if we did not have rain, it was going to be a bleak season. God knows our needs, and he always provides in due time. Let's, Let's bow and thank him. Father, as we begin our worship this morning, we pause to thank you for the the rain that came in such abundance yesterday. You opened up the floodgates of heaven and literally poured it out. And we pray that the farmers that are getting ready for the growing season will have ample water to do what they need and that it will um, just be a blessing on them and their families and on all in our community that so depend upon you because we cannot make it rain. We cannot make the sun come up or go down. We are dependent upon you for even the basics of life. And it just reminds us, Lord, of how dependent we are upon you for everything. So we thank you for hearing our prayer and just pray you continue to to pour out that water we need. And even as you pour out the rain, Father, pour out your spirit upon us as we worship. Open our hearts to receive your word and respond to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Good morning. We want to welcome you to First Baptist. Uh, We are so excited you're here today, and um, it's still drizzling a little bit out there right now. And um, but we're just so excited that you came to worship with us today. If this is your first time worship with us, we're going to ask if you'll just remain seated for just a moment for us, so we can give you a welcome packet. And in there, there's a form we'd like for you to fill out and then place it in the offering plate in just a minute so we can get a record of your visit and just get some more information to you about First Baptist. So First Baptist, if you'd stand and greet one another and look for the visitors around you. Hello and welcome to First Baptist Church Tipton. My name is Mary Claire Rains. I'm involved in the children's ministry here. I'm a GA teacher as well as a nursery coordinator and we're thrilled to have you with us today. We're thrilled that you've joined us to be part of our television audience. We hope that you'll grab your Bible, that you'll sing along, and that you'll follow as Brother Wayne brings us today's message. We do have counselors standing by. If you have some prayer needs or you have some questions about First Baptist Church or about becoming a Christian, you can call the church at 382-6063 or you can visit the website at www.fbctifton.org. Once again, we do thank you for joining us and we hope to see you here one day. this morning? Good to see you in God's house. Did it rain on you this morning coming to church? Not really? Well, that's good. Did you see the rain last night? All day yesterday, it rained rained a lot yesterday, and we're just so thankful for for the rain that God provided for us and that he continues to provide. 
Miss Naomi Gomez has the Happy Club bag, and she's right behind me because I can. Let's see. Is it a book? It's a picture. What is it? It's a picture. Oh. All right. Naomi, tell me about this. This is a picture of Naomi. And can you see a baby? And she, it, it, when, how's a baby? What? How old were you? I don't know. You, do you remember the picture? No? Two? One? Something. Can y'all see the picture, boys and girls, and see the little stuffed animals around her? Y'all think she's one or two, something like that. And then down here is a picture of her friends, Brent Sandifer and uh, Abby Sumner. And Brent's coming for the Brent's coming for the uh, conference next week, and he's going to be the worship leader. And I bet Abby will be coming too. And they're they're at University of Georgia right now. But I guess, boys and girls, what that shows me is Naomi. Here she is as a baby, and there's Brent and Abby. Is they're not. You know, they're, they're not teenagers, and I guess they're adults. They're probably 21 by now. And it just reminds me, everybody, of how important that relationship is between adults and children. And that's what Miss Sabina is going to be talking about uh, this coming Friday and Saturday, about how we can help our young people grow up. And that's what we do in church is we seek to have that relationship with you so we can talk to you about Jesus and about God and his relationship with you and how much he loves you and how much he wants to spend time with you always. And so Naomi kind of has that relationship pictured right here between her as a baby and, and Brent and Abby as adults and how much they mean to her and how important they are in her life. Parents, you're important in the lives of your children and grandchildren too. And they look up to you and, and we just want to partner with you in that holy endeavor. Let's pause, boys and girls, and thank God for our parents. Pause. That means stop. We're going to stop right now and thank God for our, our parents and our, all of our friends who help us learn about Jesus and help us grow up. Let's bow together and you pray after me. Dear God, thank you for our parents, for adults, and for our church family and all that they teach us about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. I hope you get to see Brent and Abby next weekend, Naomi, here at the conference. It's a boy's turn, Miss Sabina. What shall we do? Um, we shall do Brooks Crawford's brother, which his name is like Casey. Casey. Will you, will you take the bag home and bring back something next week, something special? All right, boys and girls, you can go to uh, Children's Worship, Miss Sabina. Amazing grace shall 
always be my song of praise for it was grace that bought my liberty I do not Just why he came to love me so He looked beyond my fault And saw my need I shall
Blessed is the man who endures trials because he will receive the crown of life. Tells us that in James 1.12. And Horatio Spafford knew that when he lost his daughters on a trip that he uh, sent them on ahead in a terrible accident. And as he was crossing the seas, he wrote, When sorrows like sea billows roll, I know it is well with my soul. Will you stand as we sing, It Is Well.
Almighty God, as we come here today, thank you for salvation. Thank you for your son's death on the cross to save us and to save our souls. Thank you for that, Lord. And thank you for the blessing of the rain that fell. And, Lord, I do pray that you will bless our nation. And I pray, Lord, that you will bless this church. Be with it the deacons, the teachers, the staff, every leader, whoever plays a role in distributing and putting your message out there for this community and this world. Bless them, Lord, and I thank you for them. And give us the wisdom in this church to always do your will. And, Lord, I pray also in these days that you will be with our nation. Our world is in trouble, Lord. Be with the United States and bless this nation. And, Lord, again, thank you for salvation. And I pray that you'll bless these gifts today and they'll be used to further your kingdom and your work in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you, choir. I was so taken by the song, I forgot what was supposed to come next. We are in a preaching tour of the Bible and in the Old Testament book of Obadiah. I don't think I've ever preached on Obadiah. It's the shortest book in the Old Testament, only 21 verses long. That's why you find no chapter uh, heading in the sermon title. It's just Obadiah 10 through 15 because there are no chapters. Just 21 verses. And we're going to look at 10 through 15. And uh, I want you to know I did not take a particular subject from the book of Obadiah to preach on this morning. This is what the whole book is about. Uh, and, and verse 15 is really the focal point of the whole book. And we're going to look at that this morning. The sermon is entitled, What Goes Around, What Comes Around. What Goes Around, Comes Around. And that's basically the message of Obadiah. Verses 10 through 15. Let me give you a little background before we get started. The Edomites... Um, and the Jews are cousins. And we'll talk about that in a minute, but uh, Jerusalem has been sacked. A calamity has befallen it. And rather than help their cousins, the Edomites persecuted them further. And Obadiah is incensed by the treatment of one family member to another, basically. And this is what he says. For the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But you should not have gloated over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. You should not have rejoiced over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. You should not have boasted in the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of his calamity. You should not have gloated over his disaster in the day of his calamity. You should not have looted his goods in the day of his calamity. You should not have stood at the parting of the ways to cut off his fugitives. You should not have delivered up his survivors in the day of distress. So not only did the Edomites also help sack Jerusalem, but the escaping Jews, the Edomites captured and turned them over as slaves to the conquering army. Listen to this. This is the, this is the culmination. Verse 15, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. Pray with me. Father, help us to learn this valuable lesson from the Old Testament that will put us in good stead the rest of our lives. Basically, when we're nice to people, they'll be nice to us. When we're mean to people, they'll be mean to us. So help us not wonder why people mistreat us or take advantage of us. Help us to look to ourselves and learn how to remove perhaps the log from our own eyes before we worry about the speck in our brother's eyes. Help us learn how to return good for evil. And help us to treat others the way we ourselves would want to be treated. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, who broke the cycle 
of violence and revenge once and for all. In his name we pray. Amen. I know you're familiar with the story of the bat, the bird. He's not, he's not really a bird, he's a mammal. You know that. And the amazing things about bats is they can fly in dark caverns deep beneath the earth and never bump into an edge or scrape a rock or, or the ceiling or anything, but they fly quick and straight and true through every opening. And for years, scientists wondered how that was possible. They thought, they thought for a long time that bats could just see in the dark. And so some scientists got together and they captured some bats to do some experiments on them. And they, they made a tunnel and they stretched wire all through the tunnel. And then sent the bats through that tunnel and were amazed that in complete darkness the bats could circumvent all the wire and all the, the edges and never scrape a single thing. So then they tried um, covering their eyes with tape and they sent those bats through that, that tunnel again with the wire stretched across and still they didn't scrape a single edge, they didn't hit a single wire. So then they tried something else. They covered the bat's mouth with tape and the bat's ears with tape and sent the bats through that tunnel and they hit the wires and they hit the walls and it was a mess. And so the scientists finally figured out that their eyes had nothing to do with how they flew because basically bats are blind. But bats apparently emit a high shrill sound that bounces off objects and returns to those finely tuned ears that pick up that sound. And so they're always bouncing sounds off of things like a, like a radar or a sonar. And, and that message comes back to them and they're able to move in and out of items without hitting a single thing because the sound they're putting out there bounces back to hit them. It's kind of like an echo. And I thought about that in relationship to this passage because what Obadiah is teaching is basically what you send out is going to come back to you one day. And there are passages in the Bible that speak to this truth over and over again. I just listed a couple. Ecclesiastes 11.1 says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. In other words, when you send something out, it'll come back to you. Mark 4.24, Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he says, by the standard of measure that you send out, it will be measured back to you. Galatians 6, 7, Paul is writing. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. What? For whatsoever a man sows, this he will also reap. You know this. You don't sow wild oats and then expect to reap a wheat harvest at the end of the season. Obadiah verse 15 puts it most succinctly. He says, as it has been done to you, as you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. In other words, what you have done to us, Edomites, it shall be done to you. It shall be returned on your own head. This, this principle has been clearly presented in Obadiah. And let me tell you, this is basically what all 21 chapter, 21 verses in Obadiah, that's what they're all about. Basically, an invective against the Edomites and, and anger at, as to how they treated the Jews in their hour of need. They're cousins. This is supposed to be a family. 
And yet when Jerusalem was being ransacked and when the inhabitants of Judah were fleeing for their lives, not only did the Edomites not aid and assist them, but they captured them and turned them over as slaves to their enemies. Now, why did the Edomites do that? You've got to know the history between these peoples to understand that because the Edomites are the descendants of Esau. Do you remember the story of Jacob and Esau? Esau was born first of the twins. Jacob's second, called the supplanter, grabbing at Esau's heel. And throughout his life, Jacob was trying to, to take what was rightfully Esau's by birthright. Eventually, uh, there, was, there was a time when Esau was out hunting and Jacob was back home cooking uh, food with his mother in the kitchen and Esau came home famished and he smelled the food that Jacob was cooking and he said, give me some of that. And Jacob said, I'll feed you if you'll give me your birthright. And, and Esau foolishly did so. Later at the point of their father's death, Isaac uh, was ready to give his blessing to his firstborn son. And so Jacob's mother helped him dress up like Esau and come in and kneel before his father who was almost blind. And he felt Jacob's back and felt that hairy mantle and he thought it was Esau and he gave his blessing to Jacob thinking he was Esau and back and forth the brothers went throughout their lives cheating each other deceiving each other trying to take advantage of each other and that heritage continued on down for generations when Moses was leading the children of Israel out of captivity in Egypt he asked the Edomites, if he could pass through their territory. And they said no. And so Moses had to lead the children of Israel all the way around Edom to get to the promised land. Every time the Edomites could get even with the Jews, any time they could stick it to them, they did what they could to make each other miserable. It's like, it's just like a family feud that just continued and escalated and escalated. Well, prior to Obadiah's writing, calamity had come to Jerusalem. Instead of coming to their aid and defense, their cousins, the Edomites, only made matters worse. And so basically the book of Obadiah is telling the Edomites that the way you have treated us will one day come home to roost on your own doorstep. And when that happens, Edom, you will know it's because of the way you treated the Jews in their hour of need. Some, some writers have called this poetic justice. All I know is my parents used to say, what goes around comes around. So what you send out, folks, will one day come back to haunt you or to bless you, depending on what you send out. This is true in many respects, and I gave you a brief outline for this morning's message. It's true, first of all, in our relationship with God. What you give to God, what you send out to God, will come back to bless you one day. I heard a story about a revival preacher who was invited to preach in a, in a small country church one Sunday. And rather than go by himself, he decided to take his young son with him. So they headed out early that Sunday morning and got to the church. And, and when they got there, it was a small church. And they walked inside, the doors open, and right inside the front door was an offering box. And so the father, it was, it was um, 
years ago and money wasn't very prevalent. All he had was a quarter. He took it out and dropped it in the offering box. And his son, emulating his father, also had a quarter. He put it out and, and dropped it in the offering box too. Well, that Sunday, attendance was way down. There was only one worshiper who came to church that day, and he was an elderly man who was obviously down on his luck as well. The preacher went through the service, you know, had the service, led worship, and then at the end of the service, the elderly church member went back to the offering box, turned it upside down, dropped it, all the money in his hand, and presented the revival preacher 50 cents. And so the son looked at his father and smiled and said, Look, Dad, if we had just put more into it, we would have gotten more out. And that's the way it is with God. When you put more service into your relationship with God, when you put more Bible study, when you put more prayer, when you put more time into your relationship with God, friends, you're going to get more back. When you neglect God, don't turn around and ask where he's gone or why he's neglecting you. He's not neglecting you. You're the one that's neglecting him because what you put into it is what you're going to get out so often. Not only is it true with God, it's also true in our relationship with others. And this was the heart of Obadiah's message Obadiah, angry at how the Edomites had treated Jerusalem. And incidentally, this hatred, this animosity continued between these two people up and until King Herod. Do you remember who was king when Jesus was born? King Herod. Herod was not a Jew. Herod was an Edomite. So no wonder there was no love lost when the wise men came to Herod and said, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? Herod panicked. He wasn't wasn't born a Jew. He was born an Edomite. So you can imagine his fear when a king had been born among the Jews and when the wise men circumvented Herod and went back to their own country another way, Herod had no problem issuing an edict that all the male Jewish babies two years of age and younger in the vicinity be slaughtered because the Edomites hated the Jews anyway. Eventually they were wiped out and about 50 years later uh, when Rome came in. But all throughout the Old Testament you see anger and revenge and animosity going on between cousins, the Edomites and the Jews over and over again. That's the way it is in our relationship with others. I'm going to share with you, with some hesitation, a personal story because I don't want this to get out. So let's keep it between us. But this is a lesson in retribution that has come home to rest on my own doorstep. And it's ongoing. So let's keep it between us. Um, When I was in seminary in the Ph.D. program, I was a a fellow, a Garrett Fellow in the New Testament department for a professor named David Garland. Dr. Garland was a popular New Testament professor and and influenced me in studying New Testament for my Ph.D. work. And uh, as a fellow, my responsibility was to be his grader. 
And so I graded all the tests, all the term papers, everything that came through. And he had huge classes. He had about 100 to 120 people in his classes because he was such a good and popular New Testament professor. And incidentally, he's dean of the School of Theology now at Truett uh, Seminary out in Fort Worth and was interim president at Baylor just recently. He left Southern Seminary years ago. But while I was his grader, um, I was grading term papers and... uh, read them, you know, pretty fast, 110 papers, good night. Essays, I read one, it was average, C, turned it in. Imagine my surprise a few days later when I'm walking into Dr. Garland's office and out comes this student, his face is red, he is trembling, he is so angry, I could just see it. And he took his test paper and he shoved it in my face He was a student in the class I had graded. He said, I'll have you know I've never made a C on anything in my life. And I've got to be honest. Back then in seminary days, I wasn't the humble guy you see standing before you now. And I distinctly remember saying, he said, I've never made a C on any paper in my life. I said, well, congratulations. You've just done something you've never done before. Imagine my chagrin 30 years later when Catherine comes home from Mercer and she says, Daddy, guess what? My major professor was at Southern Seminary the same time you were. And he took a course with Dr. Garland. And he had you for a grader. And I'm going to have him for every semester I'm at Mercer. And I said... Uh, was he about this, about, about, Catherine said, that's him. I went, oh, Lord Jesus, help us. (laughs) So, she has never said anything to him about that incident. I have never said anything to him about that incident. I'm pretty sure it's the same guy. I, I threw my grade book away years ago, so I can't verify the name. But she hasn't said anything to him about it, and I haven't either, and I won't until she graduates. (laughs) But to me, that just drove home the truth that what goes around, it's going to come around. It might take a few years. But what are the chances? I have learned my lesson. And ever since then, I've tried to be nice to people. It's true in our relationship with God. It's true in our relationship with others. It's true in our relationship with life. This is a a boomerang principle. And it's, it's just true in our relationship with life in general. Life is not a gamble. John Claypool, a wonderful preacher, said, Life is an investment with a fairly predictable relationship between cause and consequences. A relationship, a direct correlation between cause and consequences. So if you're someone who whines and complains about life and is bitter all the time and all you can do is sit there and moan and complain about why life seems to be so unfair to you, it might just be in retaliation. Now I'm not saying that 
every bad thing that happens to you, don't hear me say that, is because you've done something bad to somebody else because we know that bad things happen to good people. But sometimes those who wallow in misery only find misery. And those who look back on their lives with contentment and joy and happiness, I'm guessing did something along the way to invest in those qualities as well. They were good and kind and honest, and those qualities came back around full circle to them. There's a true story that came out of the Great Depression. There was a man by the name of Judd Brewster who was the meanest, most hateful man in the territory. There was another man named Jansen who lost everything in the Depression. He lost his farm, he lost everything, but he heard there was a farm available for sharecropping But everybody in town said, don't take that farm because it's next door to to Judd Brewster and you'll be his neighbor and he's the meanest man in these parts. Well, Jansen wasn't afraid of Brewster. He said, if this Judd Brewster gives me any trouble, I'll just kill him. And so he took the farm and he worked it and he cultivated it. And one day, Jansen's chickens got out and got over in, in Judd Brewster's garden. And Brewster angrily gathered up the chickens and took them back to Jansen and said, these are your chickens. You keep them on your farm. If they ever get out again, I won't be bringing them back to you alive. Jansen apologized and put his his chickens up. A few weeks later, Jansen's pigs got out and got into Brewster's garden. Well, by that time, Brewster had had it. And so he he brought the pigs back to, to Jansen And he said, Jansen, your pigs got out and they were in my garden. But don't worry, it's not going to happen again. And he showed him the cart he brought back and all the pigs had been shot dead in the cart. So Jansen took the pigs and buried them out back. Well, a few weeks later, Jansen's son comes in and says, Dad, guess what? Old man Brewster's pigs got out and they're in our garden. You want me to get the gun? And we shoot them all and take them back to him like he did to us. And the father said, no, let's load them up alive and take them back. Well, you know, it's a whole lot harder to load up live pigs than it is dead pigs. But they got them all herded up, got them on the cart and took them back to Brewster. And Jensen knocked on the door. Brewster came to the door and said, Brewster, these are your pigs. They got out and they got in my garden and and Brewster just fell. He said, oh, no. All right, just put them out behind the barn and I'll bury them later. And Jansen said, I can't put them behind the barn. They'll escape again. They're still alive. And Brewster said, what? You mean I killed your pigs and you didn't kill my pigs? And those two men sat down and talked for a long time. And before the conversation was over, Brewster had ended up giving Jansen half of his pigs. And the next Sunday... Judd Brewster was in church for the first time that anybody in those parts could remember. And later someone asked Jansen, he said, I thought you said if if Brewster did anything to you, you're going to kill him. And Jansen said, I did kill him. I killed him with kindness. And that old mean man that used to be our neighbor does not exist anymore. 
I'll tell you how that story became circulated. Judd Brewster's grandson became a preacher. And he goes around telling that story because someone in his father's life was willing to take a risk and instead of reciprocating revenge for revenge for revenge in that cycle that just continues and spirals downward, somebody in his, father, in his grandfather's life tried a little kindness instead. And it changed Brewster forever. And that's the way so much of life is. You know, someone's mean to us. We can calculate and figure out a way to get even. Or we can return good for evil. And we can follow the admonishment of our Lord, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Obadiah, verse 15, says, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. The good news is that God has been the first one to break that awful cycle of revenge because you see, it says very clearly in the Bible that the payment for sin is death. And if God had wanted revenge on us, he could put every one of us to death because of our sin. But he broke that cycle of revenge and he sent Jesus to die on the cross in our stead. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And when he did that, he broke that cycle. So God paid our penalty for death with his own son's death on the cross. Because he did that for us. Because he broke that cycle of revenge for us. Maybe we can learn how to treat each other a little bit better. Obadiah said, as you have done, it shall be done to you. What you have done, your deeds shall return onto your own head. Let's send some kindness out. Let's send some goodness out upon the waters. Let's send some love out and mercy out and graciousness out. And one day, that will return because of what God has done for us. Let's bow together. Oh, Father, there are times when we've made terrible mistakes. And when someone hurt us, we spent more time plotting revenge than plotting kindness. There have been times when we have been mean, unnecessarily, just because we could. And we need your forgiveness. We thank you that when we deserved death, as the penalty, as the payment for our sin, Jesus took that payment upon himself on the cross. And when you sent your only son to do that, you broke the cycle of evil for evil. 
you stepped out and you did good unto us while we were yet sinners. And because you have done that for us, you have broken that cycle for all time. So we are without excuse. If there's anyone here that harbors bitterness or anger or rancor or malice, remove that spirit from our heart. Help us repay good for evil. Kindness for hatred. Good for bad. Father, show us how to do that and give us the courage to take a new step in a new direction. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our invitational hymn this morning is number 305, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. This is an opportunity for you to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe you need to do so this morning. Maybe you have done so recently, and you need to share it publicly this morning. It's important that you do so in your heart. It's also important, the Bible says, that you share it publicly among God's people. I'll be at the front. Hymn number 305, you come as we stand together and follow Jesus together. Please come.